We're going to get right into it this morning. So you have a scripture sheet that each week you can pick up right there on that little table in the back as you come in the center section. And today it says at the top, closer to Calvary. Now, I'm very, very encouraged this year. By the way, many of you have gotten involved in this Bible reading through the Bible together with the church. And uh, it's been exciting. exciting. Even this morning, somebody stopped me and said, Pastor Phil, it was really something. Just like you said, I'm reading in a different version. I saw something that I never saw before. And my husband and I just had, man, a tremendous discussion. And it was a real aha moment. I've also had lots of questions. <laughs> I've had lots of uh, emails and texts and people stopping me and saying, what about this and that? And everything. I-, I wasn't prepared for that. But I am, uh, I'm having to admit I don't know in some cases. But it's been, it's been really, really exciting. So I want to encourage you, keep going. Keep looking for Jesus as you're reading, especially in the Old Testament. Now, today's sermon is a standalone sermon. We're going to dive back into the book of John next week, but it's a standalone sermon, and it's, uh, it's an example of what I'm talking about when I speak of looking for Jesus as you read in the Word of God. Now, I am reading also, just like you, I am reading a different version of the Bible than I've ever read before. Uh, I have many versions of the Bible. I've read many versions, but this is my first time through the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It's great. I won't say it's better than anything else, but it says things just a little bit different and something really caught my attention. And we're going to look at it together this morning. Now, before I read the passage, uh, I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of you uh, know what the original graffiti was? Now, somebody corrected me after I asked this question and gave my thoughts I say that the original greetings, or I said that the original graffiti in the world was when we go out in the woods and get a pocket knife and carve things in trees or carve things on bridges. One lady came up to me and says, nope, God's the first one that ever committed graffiti. I said, really? He said he wrote many, many tickle up harson on the walls of Belshazzar's, Belshazzar's palace. I said, okay, got me. So uh, that was really, really good. So, but you know what I'm talking about. I, when, when I was a kid, I have to admit I defaced more than one of God's trees. Um, in the woods behind my house, I'd write things like, you know, scratch it in there. P.W. was here. I remember when a friend of mine and I built this little tree house that we were quite proud of. I mean, we just, we, it took us forever, but we scratched in the tree, uh, this tree house built by P.W. and A.O., uh, Andy Owens. And so, uh, I'm sure you don't have to look far out in the woods. Many of you may have done it. You got, you know, initials here, a heart in the middle, initials down at the bottom. Maybe you've done that more than once. Don't want to take your now wife back and show that to them. But anyway, I just thought I'd tell you. But uh, I was down at one of the bridges in Ma- uh, bridges of Winterset down Madison County. There was a sign that said on the bridge, it says, no graffiti, please. Somebody scratched right into the sign. Okay, no more graffiti from me. And then I saw this one. I thought this was really cool. Now that stuff around the outside is just put there to kind of make this jump. There was, it was just on a piece of wood and it says graffiti is wrong. So why did you scratch graffiti in there if graffiti, it's just kind of crazy. I don't know what to think about that, but we all know what I'm talking about, graffiti and carving your name in certain places. You say, what does that have to do with the sermon? Nothing until I get to the end. So just hold on to that thought, carving your name in something made of wood. Now, I want you to stand, and I'm going to read this morning. I, I want to read this passage. I'm going to read from my own personal reading in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1 to 13. I have a question for you. How many of you have ever heard a sermon from the book of Leviticus? Just raise your hand. Uh, 
Well, there's more in this service than the first. There's only about five in the first. Some of you folks are real spiritual. That's awesome. So, uh, you've heard a sermon. So, I'm going to preach from Leviticus this morning, and uh, not really the first place we go, but uh, I want to read this. I want you to listen. And uh, this is a one-point sermon. This is, this, is, this is Pastor Phil's musings on what he read that leads me to the cross, and I want you to, I want you to just walk through this with me. Let me read it. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt, is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord." Then he shall put his hand, hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord, and the priest, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around the altar, that is, by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priest, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head, the fat, in order on the wood, that is, on the fire upon the altar." But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. If his offering is of the flocks and of the sheep or of the goats as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And the priest Aaron's sons shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar." And he shall cut into piece, cut it into pieces with its head and its fat, and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash the entrails and the legs with water. Then the priest shall bring it all and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And you're probably wondering what in the world is Pastor Phil going to say? Father, I pray that you would help us this morning as we just look at this passage of Scripture and try to come to grips with what you're saying. You didn't put this in the Bible just to fill, fill space, but you're telling us something. And Jesus said, as he was walking the road to Emmaus, that all of the law and the prophets spoke of him. Help us to see it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. On the 1st of January, Pastor Matt and I tag-teamed the message, and he, his responsibility was to talk about how we see Jesus in the sacrifices. Especially, he talked about the Day of Atonement, <clears throat> Yom Kippur, as the Jews call it. And it was that once-a-year offering of a male goat, uh, actually two, but we'll emphasize the one, where with great care and ceremony, the high priest was to carry the blood behind the veil to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. That was that spectacular golden single piece unit that sat on top of the Ark of the Covenant that had cherubims that faced each other. And it was in that location that the glory of the Lord dwelt. It was an offering that was made, a bloody sacrifice that was for the whole assembly of the Jews. And it was, it was effective for a full year. It lasted from one year till the next. You say, well, okay, ho-hum, know all about that. But what we just read in Leviticus chapter 1 has nothing to do with the atonement or Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. It has nothing to do with that. 
Uh, what we just read is about any day and about any person who needed to bring an offering in relation to their sin, whether it was a burnt offering, a sin offering, a peace offering, or any other kind of offering. Uh, the sermon today has one point, and it's about what do I have to do with the offering? I want you to picture a man. Let this man be our illustrative point for the whole sermon. Picture a man who has broken one or more of the laws, the statutes, the ordinances, the rules and stipulations laid down for them to follow. He has broken one or more. He has become aware of it and his conscience is now pricking him. He knows that sin requires a sacrifice in order to remain in good standing and fellowship with God as well to remain in good standing and fellowship with the company of his people. They were, if disobedient, cut off from among the people and they had to go outside the camp. But they didn't want to do that. This man has learned that the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given, to you, given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. Listen to these words. He's learned this. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. That's Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11. The New Testament agrees with this totally in Hebrews chapter 9. And I will say the book of Leviticus and the book of Hebrews in the New Testament are companion books. The greater you know each book, to, then the better you will understand each book. And so Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 says this clearly, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. That is no forgiveness. No remission, no payment for sin without the shedding of blood. So this concept, the man of our illustration made his way according to their procedures to the gate of the tabernacle. So picture this, it's a gate that's 30 feet wide, 22 and a half feet beyond it on this side, 22 and a half feet beyond it on this side, 75 foot wide courtyard and a 30 foot gate. Why so big? Because so many people were there because there's a lot of sinners. And so the, he approaches, comes to the gate. He has his approved animal. He waited his turn to be summoned, and then he could approach near the brazen altar. Now, this is not the mercy seat altar, the one that's inside behind the veil. No, no. This is a daily sacrificial place. It's on the outside. The next thing item is a laver, a place where the priests wash themselves before working. And so here's this big altar. It's yay high, has horns on all sides. It's made of a copper colored material. And and there it is, and there's fire always going, smoke always rising, bloods everywhere. And there's the priests that are doing their work, and people are shuttling over, staying a while, doing some things, and coming back. And so his turn comes up. This place and this process was a smelly, nasty affair, and it happened over and over and over. And chapter one is only an example of how many times it happens in the book of Leviticus. I am afraid at this point that we have that we, have a we make a terrible mistake in what happens because what we do in our mind is we have this supposition that the man, according to the requirement, made the appropriate sacrifice and he brought his animal and he gave his animal to the priest who would summarily look at the animal to make sure that the animal was the right animal and he was in the right condition, that there was no defect, that he wasn't over a year old, all of these qualifications, and he would accept the animal. And we get it in our mind that the priest would say, okay, that's a good sacrifice and you can leave. And the person picks up, leaves, and goes away. <laughs> that's not what happened. Read slowly and carefully the scriptures and you will see that it was a different story altogether. Here's what happened. 
The man, after his animal was approved, would, verse 4, it says in verse number 4, then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering. And so symbolically, he put his hand on the head of the sacrifice, transferring to the innocent the guilt and the commission of his sin, and he puts it on an innocent. He puts it on this animal. Wow, that's just, uh, ooh, how dramatic. Well, it's not near as dramatic as the next verse. Verse number five says, he shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priest Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around. Whoa, 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 whoa. He didn't just walk up and leave the animal and say, please sacrifice this for me. No, 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 no. He put his hand on the animal. He pulled the animal's head back. He took the knife and he cut the throat of the animal. He has the knife in his hands. The priest catches the blood in a basin of sorts and he sprinkled it all around the altar. All done, right? No. Nope. Look at verse number six. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar, lay wood on the altar, and the priest, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head, and so on on the altar. So he lays his hand on the head of the offering. He pulls its neck back and kills the animal. They catch the blood. Then he steps over to a side table and he cuts that animal up according to, he does the work of a butcher and he cuts that animal into pieces having skinned it completely. He does it. If we're looking at him, he's covered with blood and it's all over his hands. He's got his hands into it. This isn't an antiseptic ordeal where he just dropped off the animal and left. No, his hands are in the blood. The priest arranged the pieces, burned them on the altar. Not done yet. Evidently, verse 9 says, he then cleans the entrails, which would be all of the internal organs. He cleans them and he cleans the legs and gives them back. And then those are likewise burned. Evidently, he stays and does all of this, and he watches as the final portions are laid on the altar. This procedure happens many, many, many times in the book of Leviticus. And so, a few observations that I just need to make. I mean, it just came to me like everything as I just sat knowing that all of the law and the prophets speak of Jesus. And so, I got to thinking, and I said, you know, in this situation, sin was very serious, and it required a blood sacrifice. Something had to die to cover a man's sin. If you would go with me for a moment to the Garden of Eden and you look and there's Adam and Eve walking around. And as we see them walking around, maybe Cain and Abel have been born by this time. But there's Adam and Eve. If we look at them, they've got skins on. Where did you get those clothes? Oh. And Adam drops his head. Well, in the beginning we were told to obey the Lord, but we didn't obey the Lord. The only answer for our disobedience was that these animals had to die. And you know, it broke our heart because these are the first living things that ever died in all of human history. We're wearing these skins. You see, the wages of sin is what? Death. Sin was serious and then sin was personal. A person couldn't sacrifice for his neighbor or for the family down the road. There was no vicarious suffering, no vicarious sacrifice. No, no, no. You brought your own. You put your own hand on the animal. You killed it yourself. Sin was recurring. 
No man sinned just one time and made just one sacrifice all of his life. No, no, no. As sin occurred, a sacrifice was required over and over. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we could just recognize our sin one time and say, oh, wow, I told that lie. And you go in and you sacrifice the animal never to sin again. How many, how many of you have sinned more than one time in your life? Just raise your hand up. How many of you have sinned at least once every day of your life? Raise your hand. We won't go any further. You see, this was a recurring deal. They, they, it was never done. Sin and its sacrifice, and this is the point of the whole sermon, sin and its sacrifice were intimate affairs. When a person brought a sacrifice for their sin, they had to acknowledge their guilt and they had to acknowledge their association with the sacrifice. They couldn't just bring a goat, a bull, a ram, a lamb and drop it off and say, hey, Aaron, Eliezer, Ithamar, here's my sacrifice for lying about my neighbor and stealing that heifer from my neighbor next door. Would you take care of it for me? I got business to go attend to or I got a vacation to take. No. No, no, no. He had to face his sin, confess it before the Lord. He had to kill the animal. Blood had to be shed and it had to be, he had to do the shedding of the blood. His hands were involved in the sacrifice. Sin and sacrifice were intimate affairs in Leviticus chapter 1 under the old covenant. Sin had to be covered for the fellowship with God and his children to carry on. Without sacrifice, uh, without the covering, uh, then they were guilty. Now, there was this once a year sacrifice that kept them in the family, kept them from being completely cut off. That was the day of atonement. But this was something else. This had to do with daily standing. This had to do with, with the way that they were living and the fellowship that they carried on with God. This type of sacrificial system continued from the time that Moses gave the law all the way to the set time the second temple was destroyed. So here I'm thinking about all this and I'm thinking what an ordeal. They couldn't quit sinning so they couldn't quit sacrificing. How miserable they must have felt. Did you ever feel helpless? Did you ever feel hopeless regarding sin? We have a great ancestor in the faith by the name of Paul who wrote in Romans chapter 7, the things that I really do want to do, I, I don't do. And the things that I do not want to do, those are the very things I do. I would like to avoid it, but I fall in. And the things I'd like to do, I never get around to. Anybody can identify with that? Verse 24 of chapter 7 sums it up. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? What a deal. Not only... Think about this, these, these, these farmers, these herdsmen and, and flock keepers, think about this. <laughs> Not only do you raise animals for wool and leather and food and for your business, you also raise them to cover the sins you haven't committed yet, but that you know you will. Imagine taking the lamb and slitting its throat to get its blood. You know, sheep slaughterhouses are known for switching out the person who kills the sheep because they use what is known as a captive bolt gun. The fact that the sheep are so meek, sometimes the sheep even licking the hands of the person who shoots them behind the ear with a bolt gun. It gets on, it works on them. They can't leave them there working in that position too long. I was reading my devotions, 
And I was thinking about all of this, and it was stunning, and it was convicted, and then all convicting, and then all of a sudden it dawned on me. I'm, I'm getting all the details. He does this, and he does that, and the priest does this, and the priest. Oh, wow, he couldn't leave. He, then it dawned on me. I am intimately associated with the sacrifice for my sins as well. Today we don't offer bulls and goats to cover our sin, praise God. But let me share this with you. The blood of bulls and goats of Leviticus chapter 1 didn't take anybody's sin away. They were a delayment to punishment. They covered their sin, put off punishment until the right sacrifice could be made. The sacrifices of animals could never remove or take away sin. They covered it and delayed the punishment. Only the blood of Jesus can take away sins. Listen to Hebrews chapter 9. In fact, I'd like you to just turn to the book of Hebrews, if you would, chapter 9. And we're going to look at just a few verses in 9 and 10. I've already said that it's the companion book to Leviticus. It's very important. Hebrews 9.11 says this, But Christ came as the high priest of the good things to come with greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. And look at verse 12, Hebrews 9.12, Not with the blood of goats and calves, But with his own blood he entered into the most holy place, listen to these words, once for all having obtained eternal redemption. Listen to chapter 10 verse 1. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come. You say, what, 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 the law, a shadow? Yeah, the law and the sacrifices and the tabernacle and the pictures and the manna, all of these things were shadows of the reality that was to come on earth, shadows of the true sacrifice that was coming, which was Jesus Christ. They were pictures. They were living pictures. They were vivid pictures, but just a shadow. For having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of these things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who, who approach perfect. For then they would not have, would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers once purified would have no more consciousness of sins. But though in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Nobody's sin was ever atoned for by the sacrifice of animals. But they had to do it. And it was a continual reminder that sin has a consequence. Oh, listen to chapter 10, verse 10 through 14. This is just a a breathtaking passage. It says, by that we... By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And there's the phrase once again, once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. If you go study the tabernacle, you won't find a chair anywhere. Not the tabernacle, not the temple. No chair. Why? Because the priests were never done. The sacrifices were never finished. But Jesus, when he made one sacrifice, the sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because there's no more sacrifice that needs to be made. I just want you to know I am very thankful to be living on this side of the cross and not the other side of the cross. Aren't you glad that Jesus died for our sins once for all?
Oh, the love of God that's been shown to us. Oh, that he has died for our sins. And then one of the most powerful, oh, I could preach a month on verse number 14. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. One offering. (laughs) Jesus made one sacrifice on the cruel cross of Calvary. He died and was buried and rose again and he defeated death and sin and hell and the grave. He did it one time, never to be repeated. And for those who believe in him, he has perfected, he has completed us forever. And in the process, we're being sanctified, made more like Jesus from day to day. And we ought to never graduate from the cross, never get too far from the cross, never stop walking in the shadow of the cross because the cross makes a difference to us every day of our life. Every day. We're familiar with all of this. I'm thankful I live on this side of the cross. You say, what's the connection now, Pastor Phil? Help me with this Old Testament sacrifices and the sacrifices of Christ. Well, sin is still serious, is it not? It's not a little uh uh-oh or a mistake, a wrong turn. No, no, no. It's an affront, a rebellion against God. I'm talking about believers when we sin. Sin is still personal. I do it. I am responsible Sin is still recurring. I have sinned. I do sin. I will sin. With Paul, I can say, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And with Paul, I can say, thank be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're still intimately associated with the death death of Christ for our sin. What? We are intimately associated with the death of Christ for our sin. The sum total of my sin, my sin nature, and my incapacity to stop sinning are all covered by the blood of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, committed no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This ought to be an endearing truth to you folks. What does this mean? It means that the crown of thorns, the whip, the hammer, the nails are in a sense in my hand. I participated in nailing Jesus to the cross. Lies are at the cross. Envy is at the cross. Hate is at the cross. Lust and fornication are at the cross, theft and murder and rape and pride and prejudice and slander and all that ever-present sin of ingratitude. It's all at the cross. You say, Pastor, but I've been forgiven. I've been justified. Praise God, that is true. But are we free to walk away from Calvary and forget about it? Is the idea that we're once saved and we're always saved, always covered by the blood of Jesus, does that mean that I I have a permission slip just to live any way I want? We need the gospel every day, dear beloved. Oh, listen to these verses. 1 John 1, 6, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But listen to this glorious verse. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, present tense, active, cleanses us from all sin. Not just cleansed in the past, but he keeps me clean in his presence when I approach and say I did it. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Humble yourself in the sight of God. He will lift you up. 
Let me close this by going back to the carving of initials. You know, I talked about that at the very first. If I look real close, if I think about it, (laughs) if I had the ability, I know it's a figurative way, but it's still nonetheless true. If I think about it, then my initials are at the cross. You see, I'm associated with this. I'm, I'm not, it's not antiseptic for me. It's not I can just stand way over here and say, oh, my sins are all on Jesus. And, and, oh, and I can just say, thank you, Jesus, and turn around and walk on in my life and act like I don't need the cross. Oh, my friend, we need the cross and the gospel of Jesus Christ every day of our life. You say, why? What do you mean? What if I was thinking, dwelling? What if in the moment of temptation, the moment when I am tempted to, with my anger, get running away with me, or my envy, or my jealousy or what if I'm on the computer and I see something pop up and it starts to attract my attention as a man and and if my mind would run to the cross to understand the penalty that was paid and that my hands are bloody in the sacrifice if I ran to the cross would I have more strength with temptation in my mind to go to the cross the cross of Jesus (laughs) We're associated with it. We're involved in it. Don't you just love this verse? Does this really help you? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That verse just comes leaping to truth and leaping to life when I understand that there's always forgiveness at the cross. But I have to go to the cross in my mind. This is what I saw in Leviticus chapter 1. Jesus said, all of the law and the prophets spoke of me. And I believe it. Now let me ask you, do you want to run to the cross? Do you want to remember that though you're not physically in Jerusalem today, you can't go out to Golgotha, you can't do that? No, no, no. But you can in your mind's eye run to the cross. We can Go back to the end of the sermon last week when we were talking about the Sermon on the Amount. We were talking about giving to the Lord. And then we read that final verse in 2 Corinthians 9.15 that says, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. I'm immensely thankful for Calvary today, for the cross, for the gift of forgiveness and cleansing that were purchased for me. I wrote it down this way. I was trying to figure out a sentence to put what happened at the cross in a sentence so that I would never forget it. And I wrote it this way. I said, an unimaginable price was paid by an impeccable, sinless Savior to provide an unspeakable gift for me. And all I could write was, oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, the love of God is endless. It's immense. And he proved it at the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You say, well, that's a great evangelism verse. Oh, it's a great Christian living verse. If you stop and think about what Jesus did for us, let me just ask you a question. Do you love him? Do you think about it? Does your mind go back to the cross? 
In order to never forget, continue to draw near to God through faithfully reading his word. Draw near by faithfully congregating with his family. Draw near to God both on a sunny day and a stormy day. Draw near and he will draw near to you. So what does this mean? What, 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 what does all this mean? What should I think? What should I do? Well, it means that God loves you immensely. It means that he sacrificed everything for you. What should I do? Never forget, always forgive, continually give thanks to God for this unspeakable gift.